great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... Told you we'd be right back, and here we are a little more than 24 hours later. We gave you the Puna Ford Latavius Murray emergency pod, and now it is the way-too-early 53-man roster projection pod. Welcome into Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast. He is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino, and man, this is going to be a fun show. A lot of different things to talk about, and I was we were talking before we started here, and we haven't really hit on uh, winners and losers yet. Post draft. I mean, the Bills added a couple of players this week, so we'll get into that a little bit as well. What is up, Ryan Talbot? Hey, not too much. You know, good seeing you. Long time, right? I know. I feel like I haven't seen you at all. We had a meeting, a call this afternoon uh, <laughs> with our boss, and we had the show yesterday. I mean, I never complain about seeing no. Ryan Talbot. And well, I'll see you Saturday too. You know, yeah. it's- getting together in uh, Syracuse, uh, Syracuse Press Club Awards. We had a fun time there last year. It's exciting time to go see everybody uh, on the home front. Everybody always asks us, like, how do you guys do your job if you work for the Syracuse, for Syracuse.com? And it's like, well, we live in Buffalo. He lives in Olean. It's 2023. You can do it remotely, like, right? That's like, right. get after it. All right. Before we get too far down the road here, a couple of housekeeping items. Number one, I'm going to keep hammering it home. Save the date. Get out your calendar. May 20th. Shout live at Wingnuts, beers, wings, bills. It's going to be a great time. You come out, watch the show live, hang out with us. We'll 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 enjoy some uh, some beverages. We'll enjoy some amazing chicken wings, and we'll just hang out. We'll chat. Uh, that's May twentieth, seven hundred Military Road. The link is in the description on audio and video platforms, so you can get more information. RSVP, so you get a reminder closer to May twentieth. Ryan, big week. The Shout Podcast is taking over TikTok. Let them know what's going on here. Because I think you, I, got, I think I got kind of a side eye from you when uh, we tried to roll that out this week. Yeah, you know, you, you approached me and said, hey, we should create a TikTok and, and share some clips of our Shout show. And I'm like, oh, man, TikTok. I, I felt like that old man that like, uh, I'm like, I don't know. I think that technology has passed me by. But. You said I wouldn't have to show off any kind of dance moves on the site. So I said I'd be in for that. I know that's like what the kids like to do. Like they do the choreograph stuff, but all Bill's content, uh, Matt Perino and myself are now on there. I believe you are Matt underscore Perino. Yep. That's and correct. I am Ryan underscore Telbit underscore shout. So you can find us both on TikTok sharing just some short clips of our videos. Listen, I don't know if this is necessarily the audience that is going to consume these um, more digestible pieces from the show, but it's almost just like um, it's going to be like a highlight reel, right? Like we're going to take out little segments, uh, little snippets from the show, share what we're talking about uh, so you can maybe figure out if uh, you want to listen to the whole thing. So it's going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, that's perfectly said. Like uh, you send me these little minute clips, quick hitters, highlights from our shows, uh, obviously still support, watch the live shows, listen to the pods, but if you want the little quick hit takes TikTok, that's where you can find us. 
TikTok. What a world. What a time. All right. So let's get into some winners and losers from the draft. And I think, you know, most of these are pretty obvious, but I think it's a nice little segue into the conversation around what we think this 53 man roster is going to look like. And it's funny, Ryan, like we were talking about it before earlier today, as we were putting this thing together, there aren't a lot of surprises expected. We know we get to training camp. There's going to be some camp battles. Of course, you know, you look at the running back position, some things happening on the offensive line, obviously at linebacker, but I mean, the path to the roster, it seems pretty clear for like maybe even as many as 50 guys. So yeah. we'll kind of work our way through that. But let's let's start with some winners and losers. Let's we'll start with winners. Who's your biggest winner post-draft? Yeah, I have to go with Spencer Brown. I've been sitting here for months now saying that uh, I, I felt like the Bills needed to bring in some legitimate competition for him at right tackle. And the draft comes and goes, and they, they don't really address that position. They did get better on the offensive line, but... Uh, you know, as we sit here post-draft, David Questenberry was brought in, obviously, or re-signed. And, you know, Questenberry was fine for what he was last year, but not someone that I hear and look at as a legitimate uh, competition for that right tackle position. So everything Brandon Bean has said about him in terms of we believe in this guy, uh, we, we think that he can, he's going to bounce back, the back injuries, everything about his final season with the COVID years. They must genuinely believe this because right now I don't see anyone that's pushing him for this job. So for that, he's one of the biggest winners. What about you, Matt? Yeah. And it's tough too, because once you get past that first wave in free agency, it's, you know, kind of slim pickings at the tackle spot. I mean, at the time they brought in Questenberry, I mean, you take a look at some of the names that are, that were available. I don't think they were necessarily bringing anybody in off the street that was going to push him, especially at the, you know, the restrictions uh, money wise. But yeah, I, I, I think Spencer Brown is an obvious one. I think that in year three, there's paths to, you know, answers elsewhere. I think um, if they if they need to find it, you know, we, we talked about Ryan Bates in an emergency situation with Brandon Bean, but obviously that's not like the ideal fit for him out there at right tackle. They've spent a lot of time developing him as a guard. So, yeah, I mean, big winner. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of competition for Spencer Brown at right tackle. And there's been like small pockets of success for the player. And if he is healthier, um, I think that they they have a reason to be excited about it. He goes down, though. Deion Dawkins goes down. The depth at tackle, all of a sudden, it's a little bit troubling. And we'll get to Nick Broker and maybe how he can maybe fit into that role. He played multiple positions on the exterior and interior uh, at Ole Miss. Uh, but, yeah, Spencer Brown is a, a big winner. My other big winner is on the offensive side of the ball. And this is based on you know the entire offseason buildup to this week and what the Bills have done to address things on their offense. And we sit here today with things unchanged for Gabe Davis. I mean, he is the definition of winning going into a contract year. And I think he could be even in line for even a bigger win if he gets extended here before even the start of training camp or maybe before the start of the regular season. Uh, I'm not ruling that out. I think that's definitely a good possibility, especially if they could come to terms on something that's a little bit more friendly, like, you know, that Matt Milano range. Remember when everybody thought he was going to get upwards of 16, 17 million. Some people even thought, I don't know. I don't ever know if I went, if I thought it was going that high, but he ended up signing for, you know, an AAV at the time of 11 million and people were, you know, dumbfounded by that development. And I think Gabe Davis could maybe fall into something similar. You know, he's trending towards maybe 18, $19 million. They can get something done that puts his AAV somewhere around 15. 
on a multi-year deal, maybe a three-year deal. I think you are excited about that. And I also think this is a, a big potential year for him. But you look at that depth chart, Deontay Hardy, Trent Sherfield, Justin Shorter, the rookie fifth rounder, they didn't address wide receiver early in the draft. And I think a big reason why there wasn't any urgency there is because they believe in Gabe Davis and you know he sits here to have a, a big role in this offense once again this season. Yes, you know, same thing as Spencer Brown. It, they talked about Gabe Davis all offseason about, you know, this guy was dealing with a high ankle sprain. He gutted through it. He pushed through it, but it affected his play. It affected his game. And yes, that doesn't account for some of the drops that he had, but it, it did impact his route running. You know, there were times where we would watch him warming up or even in game and he wasn't coming out of his breaks well. He wasn't running the routes uh, as well as we've seen him when he's been healthy. So it, it definitely took a toll on him. Uh, big winner, though, like you said, because obviously there's that run on wide receivers. But even in these podcasts that have come out post-draft where Brandon Bean's come on, it's been very clear that Dalton Kincaid was the target for this team. It was not any of those receivers that went uh, in front of him. So uh, the Bills weren't even really toying with that idea. Uh, we're going to get the loser here, but I want to sneak in another winner. And if you want to throw in another one, too, afterwards, feel free. I think Tyrell Dotson is a massive winner. I mean, there are question marks about Terrell Bernard and all this excitement around Balen Spector. I mentioned it on Danger and Bataglia this week. Every time we get a chance to, or that Brandon Bean gets a chance to talk about the linebackers, he makes it a point to mention Balen Spector's name. And he's also mentioned that he has been at the facility all off season long, whether it be rehabbing uh, an injury, but he's around the building. So anytime you're around the building, when the coaching staff is in there, I think that that out of sight, out of mind sometimes, but you know, insight, I mean, it's, you could tell that they did thinking about Balen Spector and what potentially he can mean for this linebacker competition. But I think Tyrell Dotson is, you know, Brandon Bean said he's the leader in the clubhouse to be the starting middle linebacker for them this year. And I think this is a real path to it. I think that the, that the Dotson camp believes that he's got a good chance to play a huge role in this defense. And I think that their inactivity and lack of urgency in free agency, I know that there was a report out that they was, were semi-interested in Levante David, and he even came out afterwards and said maybe he signs with the Bills or maybe he got a call from Von Miller or something like that. But the, the money probably wasn't there. The aggressiveness wasn't there because I think they, right or wrong, they believe in Dotson. They've seen enough from him over the years. My big question with Dotson is can he stay healthy? Like, I think as a player, I think there's real upside there. But every time he's been given a little bit of rope or an opportunity, it seems like he gets dinged up a little bit. But I wonder if he's playing every snap, if he's spending the week getting the game reps. Like one of the, one of the things for these younger guys, Ryan, what do you think about this? I was thinking about this the other day. You think about like a Tyrell Dotson, right, who is coming along as a UDFA, scratching and clawing for every practice rep that he can get. Then the season starts and you're basically on the scout team or the, you know, maybe not even on the scout team. Maybe you're on the, you know, the third team in practice getting barely any reps. And then somebody gets hurt and you get rushed out into a game situation. You got to fly around and go a million miles an hour. It's like sometimes the body is not built to ramp up at that speed that quickly after kind of downshifting. And so maybe from an injury perspective, maybe those concerns are, aren't warranted. And maybe if he's given more of an opportunity, he can stay healthy and, and keep his body right and ready. Yeah. I, I think there's definitely something to that. And I think that Dodson truly feels like he is in a prime position to win this job to start the year. Now, you and I have seen it before where someone starts the year as the starter, and eventually they might get replaced. Uh, that could absolutely happen. But Dodson is kind of has the, 
he's been here for multiple seasons. He knows the ins and outs of this playbook. He's someone that I'm sure that Sean McDermott uh, feels like can call the defense can, can uh, you know, relay the plays because he's, he is so familiar with this system, but you know, just one more thing to that point. Again, I was listening to a podcast with Brandon Bean and he talked about, uh, you know, how are you going to replace Edmonds? And he said, you know, as good as Edmonds was good player, you almost need to have like a hybrid type player there. Now, someone that, as big as Edmonds was, there were times where he couldn't cover a running back. He couldn't cover certain guys. You need to have someone that has that athleticism, that, but can also kind of is good against the run. And, and it, they have some of these athletic players, those, those hybrid type players on this roster now, including Dorian Williams. So maybe it's something where you you let Dodson start the year and maybe he handles the job and he never lets it up. But there's definitely going to be some people competing with him uh, to try to take over that role as the season progresses. All right. Uh, do you got any more winners to add before we move on to the losers? Yeah. Boogie Basham and AJ Epinesa. Uh, I thought that if the bills would have added an edge rusher, one of them would have been really on the hot seat in terms of making this roster. They still yes. could though, Ryan. They still could. There's some great names available in free agency. Absolutely. But as of right now, post-draft, no one else has been brought in to this point. They're both big winners right now because I, in my opinion, I think Von Miller will start the year on the pup list. So that leaves you with, Rousseau, Shaq Lawson, Boogie Basham, and Epinesa. And, and with, you know, that rotation of four, maybe Kingsley uh, you know, steps up this year. I liked what he did uh, last year in, in one game. Uh, but realistically, he's a practice squad guy. You can roll with these four. Right now, I'm going to say both of those second-round picks are big winners for the Bills. Let's start with some of the losers uh, mm-hmm. from this cycle and and where we're at going into um you know rookie minicamp OTAs so on and so forth I've seen it mentioned here a couple times and so I think we start there Naheem Hines is a loser and I want to kind of talk this through a couple ways because you know number one I agree I, I would place him in the loser category just because they restructured his deal he's still making more than I think or at least close to all three of the other running backs on the roster combined at this stage. But I find it hard to slot him in anywhere higher than three at at best case scenario. And I think that we can get to a world where where Latavius Murray passes him on the depth chart. And so you feel like uh, Damian Harris and James Cook are slotted in however you want to do it in that one-two role. And then it's like, all right, how many – Miles, can you feed in this offense from a running back perspective? I think them going out and adding Murray, although it's a different style than Hines, it just feels like it's creates a, a more difficult path to an offensive role for him. But then again, they roll the ball out, let these guys compete. Maybe Hines can do enough to, to impress. Yeah, and, and Hines will be fine in terms of the kick return, punt return responsibilities. But in terms of just strictly offense, yeah, he's definitely into that the loser umbrella because – you know, the, the Bills trade for him at the deadline and they say they have this great vision for him and he ends up with something like nine offensive touches, 13 offensive touches. I can't remember the exact number right now, uh, but it was low and, and they didn't utilize him in this offense. And maybe with a full offseason and knowing his skill set, he'll be able to get more opportunities this summer to show what he can do. But you're right. It's suddenly a crowded backfield. And uh, James Cook, even if the Bills don't necessarily view him as a three-down back, he really showed that burst, that explosiveness. He has that pass-catching element to his game as well. Harris can get you a, a great change of pace uh, from Cook. He can get you some of those tough yards. 
We've talked a lot about Murray being that third and short, fourth and short guy, uh, someone that can take some of that toll off of Josh Allen in terms of the hits that he takes there. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's easy to kind of see Naheem Hines being that number four running back possibly, and that's not a great place to be. Um, next up for a loser, and I know I kind of just gave Hines, so if I'm taking one of yours, I'm sorry, but Ryan Bates for me yeah. is that one that you were going to yeah, go that with? Yeah, that was my top one. Good. I stole it from you. How do you like those apples? <laughs> um, Bates for me is, you know, it's complicated for him all of a sudden because we can get into this now, actually. Like Osiris Torrance for me, from the moment they called his name, I'm slotting him in at one of the guard spots. Like I know it's going to be likely that competition deal where they go in the camp and they say all the pleasantries and Ryan Bates has started a lot of games for them and they brought in Connor McGovern to start. But I don't know if any of these players have the immediate impact ability that an Osiris Torrance has for them. And I think you drafted him for a reason. And I think that some of the areas that you've struggled with, you know, against some of those more active defensive tackles, he has the kind of skill set to offset. And I think that, You'd like to think that this this regime has learned some valuable lessons from draft picks gone bad in the past. And I think that in empowering and enabling Torrance, like, I think it's also about the player. Like, they talked, what was one of the first things that Brandon Bean said after they drafted Torrance? He's a culture guy, right? Like, the, uh, Napier brought him from Louisiana over to Florida because of that culture, that, that, um, that responsibility, that that unselfishness that he brings to the locker room. So I think you empower a player like that and you give him the job from day one. Now, if he's not ready, he's not ready. But I think now with Bates, you're paying McGovern on this three-year deal. And I know, I think, I think you're actually paying the cap hit on Bates might be a little bit, tiny bit more than McGovern. So maybe that's where it flips over and you say, all right, if you're, if you're saying Torrance is locked into one spot, maybe it's between Bates and McGovern. And Bates actually looked better at left guard than he did at right guard uh, back in 2021. What are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, no, uh, I've kind of spoken on Bates already here in, in the past few episodes. He, he The versatility, I think, could end up costing him in terms of the fact that, hey, I can play all five spots for this offensive line if I'm Ryan Bates. And if I'm the coaching staff, I'm saying that's so valuable to us. And we paid Connor McGovern money. We drafted Osiris Torrance in round two, and I agree with you. You know, they always make everyone earn their jobs. They don't hand them over. But I view Osiris Torrance as a plug-and-play guard for this team. I like McGovern and what he can do as well. So with those two, I agree. It kind of pushes Ryan Bates at least into a spot where he's not guaranteed a job. And because he could be Mitch Morse's backup, because he could help out if if one of the tackles goes down, or if one of these guards goes down, sometimes being too having too much versatility can hurt you. We got a super chat here from Bryce Elder over on YouTube. We'll uh, we'll take a little break to answer this one. Does Brandon Bean lamenting not being able to draft a defensive tackle say anything about his thoughts on Ed Oliver? Does it increase the likelihood that Ed stays long term? Well, it's funny, Ryan. This is this is kind of an interesting question because I do think that the state of affairs long term at defensive tackle might push me a little bit harder into the positive that Ed Oliver does end up getting some type of extension because I think that there's real concern about the lack of long-term stability there. And I know you don't want to overpay and Brandon Bean's never going to do that. And so if they can't come to a deal that 
makes sense for both sides. I mean, if Ed Oliver wants some crazy amount of money, I think I looked on spot track and his market value was hovering somewhere around 11 million. And I'll look that up now. I don't like to be uh, wrong on these kinds of things, but it's a real concern. I know they they go out and get Puna four, but to have nobody under contract beyond this season, you know, I think there's also another path that they can go. If it's not, if it doesn't end up being Oliver, why not extend Daquan Jones? It's something that I wrote about in my first piece back in February when I went through all those different moves the Bills could do to open up cap space. I thought Daquan Jones was a, a slam dunk home run kind of move. You lower that cap hit this year, you get him on the books for two more years. There might be some hesitation with maybe his ability to hold up. I mean, he's older. He's not. He's not super young. I gotta actually look that up. What, what do you think he is? I guess it, Ryan. I looked oh, this up. Thirty-one. Yeah, thirty-one. Thirty. I'll, I'll say thirty-two. He's thirty-one. So okay. he's thirty-one, and he turns thirty-two in December. So this season. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's it, something to be older. concerned about. So w- with the question, I, I you know I don't think it says anything about Ad. I think that if the right player was there, he would have loved to have had a, a defensive tackle, one that the team liked on a cost control contract for about four years, obviously a fifth year option would have been a first round pick. Uh, It it just comes down to the fact that everyone that's currently on this roster, like you said, Matt, their contracts up at the end of the season. So it's more so just the entire room itself. And, you know, I I said this yesterday on on our Puna Ford show. I think that Ford is in that Taylor rap umbrella where this is an audition year for him. And we like you, we like your skill set, but let's see how you actually fit in this defense because the bills have brought over players that D tackle other positions where you think it's going to work and it hasn't necessarily, or there's been surprises where it really has worked well. If Puna Ford comes in here and he is a, you know, making difference, making plays here early on, the bills are going to try to extend him in season uh, or definitely at the end of the year on a multi-year deal. And Ed Oliver, he's still young. They still like him a lot. They know that he's played out of position in his career. They know that he always hasn't had the best uh, defensive tackles next to him in his career. So I, I do think there's also a path where Ed gets extended. But I, I don't think the lamenting over not drafting a, a D-tackle is specifically Ed Oliver related. It's just, hey, there's no one on this roster that's uh, under contract beyond the season. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. All right, let's get into this 53-man roster projection. Ryan and I were basically aligned two differences, yeah. um, and we'll get to those when we when we do. But we we're talking about the defensive line. Let's stick there. Let's start there because I think that's one of the most interesting ones to kind of break down at the start. Both of us have nine making it with Von Miller being on the pup list to start the season. So that ends up being Shaq Lawson, Greg Russo, Boogie Basham, A.J. Epinesa on the edge. Um, and of course, this is current construction of the roster. If there's you know roster moves, this could change uh, over the next couple of weeks and months. Um, at defensive tackle, all we have all five making it. Um, I was on the fence about Tim Settle um, maybe being a roster cut. You can explain a little bit why that's not necessarily um, feasible. But who do you think the addition of Puna Ford, if they do get to a, a spot where they're only going to keep four defensive tackles, I think this is an interesting conversation. Who is under more pressure heading into training camp? Settle or Jordan Phillips, who for as much as they love his juice and what he brings, it is hard to keep a 340 pound, six foot six dude on the field and healthy for a 17 game season. I almost feel like it's two separate conversations too, Matt, because 
If it comes down to it, the Bills might look at it from a financial perspective, and it would be easier to part ways with Jordan Phillips. Uh, and, you know, Tim Settle, you're right. I was telling you pre-show, I, I had him off initially just because I really liked the, the four in front of him. And I was a big fan of the Tim Settle signing last year, and I, I felt like he was very underwhelming last season. I looked, though, and, and if, you know, if you're still at Spotrack, maybe double-check this, but it said on the site that his dead cap was uh, over $5 million, and the Bills have shown a willingness to t- cut ties with players uh, regardless of the, the dead cap. Last year, O.J. Howard was, I think, $3.5 million around that range, uh, and they cut him at the end of the 53-man you know, when they are trimming down the roster. So it's not out of the question. But with a team that's this close to the, you know, the cap and they're already kind of hurting money wise, maybe you keep settle for the rest of this contract. Uh, Jordan Phillips, as much as he's good for this locker room, he did not stay healthy last year. He did not resign at a large price tag necessarily. So he might be the easier option to part ways with. Yeah, you're right. 5.2 million uh, dead cap for Tim Settle, only one point. Two two million for Phillips, who signed on uh, what appears to be a two point seven nine million dollar uh, deal here, or at least that's his cap hit for this season. I think Settle under was underwhelming last year, like, and I think that's one of the things that if you're the Bills, that's probably why you got a little bit more aggressive going after a Puna Ford because when when DaQuan Jones went out of the lineup, I mean the Bills did not have any answers beyond him. I mean Jordan Phillips was playing with on, with one arm. So obviously he was ineffective, but it, it was an opportunity for a guy like Tim Settle, who we both talked about. Like we were super high on this signing last year. I mean, he was, you know, stuck behind a lot of, um, you know, seasoned, uh, accomplished players on the and that Washington defensive line, and he just didn't kind of live up to the hype. One question here from Charles: If Vaughn isn't on the pup list to start the season, who do you think goes? And I think that that's, I think that my first answer would be Shaq Lawson, but I think there's a scenario that we can play out here where AJ Epinesa and Boogie Basham have from July 26th, whenever training camp starts to roster cutdown day to prove it. And the loser, you know, yields a day three draft pick next year. And now Brandon Bean has multiple day three picks to get really aggressive in the next year's draft. And, you know, Shaq Lawson proved to be super valuable. And you also have, by the way, a guy that they're super high on in Kingsley Jonathan. Yeah, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go with the Boogie Basham, AJ Epinesa argument or that side of the coin because have them compete at camp if Von Miller is good to go. I think there is some kind of market for Epinesa right now coming off of a six and a half sack season. Um, and neither guy was drafted that long ago, but I, I feel like Epinesa did have higher draft stock than Boogie Basham did. And there's going to be some teams that sitting there, hey, he, he's gotten better each year. He's had a limited role. Uh, there are certain analytics and, and things where uh, he's really good. The, the get off time from the snap, he's among he's always at like the top two or three at that edge position. It's just the pass rush arsenal isn't getting him to the quarterback necessarily, but he's really good off the snap. So there, there's little things that I think other teams would like. And I think you could garner a pick for him. And again, it's going to be a day three pick. You're not going to get back that second round rounder or even a day two pick, uh, but you can get something for him. Maybe it's a player for player swap. We saw that a few years ago when the Bills acquired Ryan Bates. There might be a position where they're hurting uh, going into the season and they they can find a trade partner where it's a player for player yeah. swap. But maybe they need yeah. a tackle. 
Yeah. So may, maybe that's uh, where I would go with it because Shaq Lawson, you know, yes, he's older than those guys, but he proved to be very valuable last year. Um, he, he made a consistent impact for this team at the position. Uh, you know, obviously not a game changer or a superstar, but someone you can rely on week in and week out. So nine defensive linemen. Let's flip it over to the offensive line. Mm-hmm. And this is where things are a little bit different for us. Mostly the same. You have the bills keeping nine uh, offensive linemen. I have keeping 10. Um, so obviously the, the starters, Deion Dawkins are projected starters, Mitch Morse, Osiris Torrance, Connor McGovern, um, and Spencer Brown. Uh, and you could throw in uh, Bates if you want to throw him over Torrance. Uh, so then you got Bates, uh, David Edwards, Tommy Doyle, uh, and David Questenberry. Those are the nine that you have. I have them keeping 10, and my 10th is Ike Butker. At first, when you sent your, your 53 man in, I liked the idea of Ike Butker not maybe making it and being a, that priority practice squad kind of guy because I think he's at the stage of his career coming off the injury where you could probably sneak him on. But the more I thought about it, the more I just – there's going to be injuries. There's going to be teams looking to poach off of the elite rosters. I think if you re- release any of these offensive linemen, they're probably going to get gobbled up. And I, I think that they want to they, – they went out and they – they, they brought in numbers for a reason. And I think that Bucker ends up making it over another person that I'm going to mention in a little bit, but why did you end up having uh, them cut Bucker? Yeah. Well, coming off of the injury, like you said, someone that was a previous starter, but I, I just didn't see the path for him to win a starting job here. Uh, I have him kind of buried on that guard chart, especially with Osiris Torrance McGovern uh, Bates and even Edwards who is, who has played for the, you know, Aaron Cromer. So, it just kind of became a numbers game. Honestly, I was looking for a, a way to get Nick Broker on this roster because of his guard tackle versatility. I know he was a late day three pick, but he played very well at Old Miss. He had some good tape there. Uh, and Brandon Bean went out of his way to mention that he was much higher on their board than anyone else at that point in the draft. So I think they would like to keep him too. But, you know, Butker just came down to the numbers game and, and the fact that I just didn't see that path for him. To necessarily get that playing time. No, I think that that's that's fair. Uh, the broker conversation is a fun one. I just I don't know if there's a path to the 53 for him, knowing their history. I mean, you think of a guy like Jack Anderson, who there was you know more probably roster spots available when they cut him a couple of years ago. Yeah. And and maybe you could start taking some of those lessons and saying, all right, Jack Anderson's going on. He hasn't gone on to like you know, find any big role anywhere, but he keeps getting signed by teams and he's, you know, remains somebody that, you know, teams want to try to invest in and develop in. So yeah, I think brokers an interesting one, but I think he's probably more ends up because of the depth that they brought in at the guard spot. It's just going to be tougher. I mean, there, there might be a conversation to be had about Doyle maybe versus broker, especially if Doyle doesn't look the same coming off of the injury. Uh, But that'll be interesting to see. I had Butker on, my 53 and I had Quentin Morris released and then mm. he became the priority practice squad guy. Bill traditionally go with three tight ends. So I would not be surprised if your 53 man ends up being correct. And it's Dawson Knox, Dalton Kincaid and Quentin Morris. I just think from a game day type situation, we both had Reggie Gilliam making the 53. I think Quentin Morris just becomes excess at that point. I don't know 
unless you're going to have him be a mainstay on all four special teams. And that may be the case. I mean, there's a little bit of turnover on those units this year, and he might may end up proving to be a valuable commodity on teams, and you don't want to lose that. But I think that you take your chance, you put him on the practice squad because you're more worried about losing some of that depth on the offensive line, which, you know, you got to be able to have some answers. There's a lot of new pieces on this offensive line, and Ike Butker is a guy that started games for them. And that's a valid point. And Quentin Morris, you know, he had his moments last year, but he is a developmental tight end. And I think that last year, ideally, the Bills didn't want him to be on the field as much as they had to get him on there. They they had bigger plans for O.J. Howard, but he was outplayed by Quentin Morris. But, you know, Kincaid and Dawson Knox are clearly going to be uh, that one-two punch for this team at tight end. So, uh, with the fact that Morris would be, be hard for him to get onto the field, I can get where you're coming from. Let's flip it back over on defense and one of the uh, the most fun we'll have in training camp, position group wise, um, I think is going to be at linebacker. And we mentioned Tyrell Dotson already. We both have him uh, written in pen in pen on the 53 man. Then you have uh, Terrell Bernard, Balen Specter. I froze for a second. Yeah. Um, Matt Milano and Dorian Williams. And then obviously Tyler Medikavich, who he's back primarily for his role on special teams. So there's six there. I think you can make an argument for a seventh with AJ Klein if you want, but I think both of us agree. It probably is an easier path to just keeping him around on the practice squad. Nobody was clamoring to sign him as he was a free agent uh, the last couple of uh, weeks and months for the bills scooped him back up. Yeah, I went back and forth with uh, A.J. Klein and Balen Specter in, in terms of being that priority practice squad linebacker. But Klein, at this point in his career, the age, uh, yes, they, they like the fact that he knows this defense, but I think they also really like the athletic profile of Balen Specter, and they at least want to see what they have in him. So uh, to ensure that they don't lose him, have him on the 53, put A.J. Klein on the practice squad. You, you can always elevate him. If there's an injury, you can sign him to the main roster. You have to start thinking of this roster, not just for 2023, but for 2024, 2025 and beyond. And I think Spectre, at least from a talent perspective, has the opportunity to be more of a contributor in those future years than Klein, who's obviously downside of his career, um, wasn't didn't have many teams clamoring for him. So that's kind of my thinking and why I want Spectre for that last spot over AJ Klein. The next one we'll combine here is the cornerback and running back conversation mm-hmm. because uh, we'll set it up first, how you had it, and then how I changed a little bit and where I took from one group to add to another. So we'll start at corner. Obviously, Tredavious White uh, leads things off at the cornerback spot. Kyer Elam, Dane Jackson, Taron Johnson, Christian Benford, and uh, special teammates Saran Neal there gives you six cornerbacks. Um, you had the Bills cutting. Cam Lewis, who kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, flips back and forth between CB and safety. Then at running back, Cook, Harris, Latavius Murray, and Naheem Hines, we mentioned Gilliam, all make it on your 53-man roster projection. I have the Bills cutting Latavius Murray and keeping Cam Lewis. And the logic here is projecting the fact that, okay, DeMar Hamlin, there's so much excitement around his return. But what if he's not ready to play yet? What if he, you know, maybe they, you know, let him practice. Maybe he doesn't even get into a preseason game and he starts the year on pop or some type of, uh, you know, IR situation where he makes he makes the 53. Then the next day they put him on uh, that IR where they could kind of activate him and bring him back later on in the season. 
that puts you in a situation where you're going to need some depth at safety. And, you know, Cam Lewis, his, his biggest highlight from last season was when he got Moss there by Justin Jefferson in, in a big moment. But he's somebody that offers position flexibility, can handle the cornerbacks, he can play outside, inside, and he can play safety. I think they value that. And I think Murray, knowing what we know about him now and how much he wanted to come to Buffalo, I think he ends up just being the Duke Johnson of this year and you're able to get him back on the practice squad and you don't have to use a, a 53 man spot on him unless he just comes in and fits right in. And, and you think you have a, you know, a significant role ready for him on day one. Yeah. And I could see the scenario that you just laid out absolutely happening. I went with Latavius Murray on the 53 man roster. However, for those second and short third and short scenarios, and I've had bills fans say, well, isn't that why they signed, signed Damian Harris? Harris is a physical back. He can get those tough yards. Yes. But in terms of those, the second and short, third and short, Murray has a track record of converting in those situations. Harris also has a has a history of injury. So I kind of had that in mind as well when I kept Murray on this roster. But Murray over 500 yards rushing like the last seven or eight years, uh, always good for four or five touchdowns per season. And the biggest reason I kept him on this roster is so he's taking those hits in, in the short yardage scenarios that Josh Allen doesn't have to take. I'm on record saying if it's fourth and inches, line up Josh Allen and the QB sneak, give him the ball because he's generally going to convert. But it's the second and short, the third and short, where he's taking those unnecessary hits that, uh, you know, the Bills need Josh Allen to be healthy this year. They need him to be healthy long time down the road as well. So Murray in in the role that I envision for him is taking, you know, that pounding from defensive players as he gets the tough yardage for the Bills. Rick Rarick uh, mentions, why not try Christian Benford at safety? And I think that a lot of us have spent this offseason asking Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott about that. And they seem pretty steadfast in how much they liked him at corner and that their you know immediate future for him likely remains there. But sure, I think that's always an option when you have a versatile player like that. And it was mentioned when they drafted him. Uh, I think that there's maybe even some flex for an Alex Austin in that kind of role as well. I think some people have talked about his zone savviness and maybe moving him into more of a safety role. I mean, this regime has a track record of taking guys that played corner. I mean, Micah Hyde came over here being a nickel uh, corner for Green Bay and and turned into one of the best safeties in the NFL. So they they have a pathway to do it. I, I think that is a great idea. I just don't know if they're ready there yet because of the question marks with, you know, Dane Jackson underperforming a little bit last year in spots. Kai or Elam maybe not being ready. If you have questions about either of those two going into this year, I think they liked a lot of what they saw from Christian Benford. So they're probably keeping that window of corner still open. Yeah. You know, Benford, though, if they really want, cross train him during training camp. How many times have we seen the Bills do that with players? Uh, they can do it with Cam Lewis. They can do it with Alex Austin. Austin's an intriguing name. Did not make either of our 53-man rosters, but Oregon State, uh, really good when they were in zone defense. They ran a lot of different uh, defensive schemes in that system. But when they were in zone, he looked very comfortable in that role. So maybe he does impress early on here for the Bills and carries it over to training camp. And the Bills then say, okay, well, maybe we can get Benford a little bit more up to speed at playing safety. So that way, if someone goes down, we we feel good about putting him in there because of his, his athletic traits. So there's a lot of really good, talented players, including Cam Lewis, uh, who I didn't have on my final roster that they could end up saying we really like these guys and and figure out a way to make it work across the board in terms of getting Lewis on there. Like you said, in that case, it would be Murray, the odd man out at running back. 
We have a question here from the Trek reviewer. Uh, and it's interesting. So let's, let's, let's talk it through here. I have an idea. How about packaging Mitch, Mitch Morse, Ed Oliver, and Taron Johnson with the Bills' first-round pick in 2027 to Arizona for Buda Baker and whichever is the lower, which I'm uh, imagining is the higher, um, of their first-round picks next year, like the highest one, like their version? Or are you taking that as like the one that's lower in the draft? I think he, I, well, it's hard to say because when you use the word lower, you can think of it either way. I'm maybe thinking like their better pick of the two, but um, it, it leaves a lot of holes on your roster. Yes, Ryan Bates could slip in and play center. And yes, you would still have four defensive tackles, but Ed Oliver is better than a lot of people, I think, give him credit for. I know he's not, he didn't play up to his draft status, but that's not his fault in, in terms of, you know, no one forced the Bills to take him number nine overall. He was projected to go very high, but he's been a solid D tackle. Um, so you wouldn't necessarily be able to replace him with the other defensive tackles on this team. And I'm a huge fan of Buda Baker. I love Buda Baker's game. So that would be a great addition. But, you know, Taron Johnson's been one of the best nickel cornerbacks in this league for a few years now. And, uh, I, I just think that the Bills would be giving too much up numbers-wise and, and create too many holes or gaps on their roster to do something like that. Yeah, and, and I don't think Buddha for Taron Johnson is a clean swap. Like, Baker's more of like a that deep safety. He could play in the box, and obviously he's he's got coverage ability, but I don't know if that comp there fits perfectly. So that's the my first problem. Like, I almost feel like he him and Micah Hyde kind of do the same thing. Um Morse was the Bills' best offensive lineman last year. Um, I know he had another concussion, and that might be a concern, but he's not really killing you cap-wise, and he's on the final year of his deal, and he's that like that leader on the line. I don't like the idea of including him in any trade package at this point. Like He offers major stability and continuity with Josh Allen, and then and also with Ken Dorsey. I mean, yeah. Mitch Morse has been there throughout everything with Dorsey and Josh Allen. And you see them on the practice field all the time, the three of them talking. Um, I think that that would be a huge loss. And then I'd also not trade Taron Johnson in a league where in, in an AFC where you pay playing Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, go on all the way down the list, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, it doesn't stop. And I don't think you want to get rid of coverage players. And I know Buda Baker is a really, really elite cover man, but I just don't know if it's a perfect fit. Like I mentioned, and then Oliver, Listen, I think he's like we talked about yesterday. He's set up to have the best season of his career. So do you really want to get out of that, lose the potential comp pick that you're going to get, number one? Um, and I get it. Like if you're trading some type of package and you're getting like potentially a top 10 pick next year, sure. Like do it. Like maybe like as long as Mitch Morse isn't in the package and Taron Johnson. Like if it's some Ed Oliver type package and you know maybe you could put another player in there. I'm not sure what that looks like. Consider it. Sure. We've talked about this all offseason because how many times are the bills in this? And the reason why I thought this was interesting to, to, from the jump is how many times are the bills at this stage of the build going to have a chance to pick in the top 10? So I think, sure, if, if Arizona calls and they're willing to give up one of those deals or one of those picks, sure, you talk about it. But I just think to your point, I totally agree. That's way too many like foundational pieces on both sides of the ball that I don't know if you want to part with them. Yeah, you know, if this was a rebuilding team, a team that was trying to start anew or start fresh, I would I would kind of understand that. But they're trying to win it all this year. Uh, and even Mitch Morris, you know, I don't know if this will be his final season in the NFL, if he wants to play a little bit longer, if 
Uh, and if he does, I think it would be with Buffalo. So just someone that knows the ins and outs, though. The system is a great, great help for Josh Allen. Ken Dorsey, like you mentioned, uh, definitely the one of the last people I would ever want to trade if I were in, in the Bills front office. Um, so we got that handled. You went with the five running backs. I went with the four, yes. obviously QB. We don't have to spend any time talking about that. It's Josh and Kyle, the Allen brothers. Uh, not really, but you get my point. They, uh, both make the roster Matt Barkley priority practice squad candidate. Um, the last position group that we have to talk about. And of course the special teamers, I mean, there's no competition for any of the three Tyler Bass, Sam Martin, Sam, or, uh, Reed Ferguson. We, you have four Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Taylor Rapp, DeMar Hamlin. I think that's probably the way that it goes. The only thing that would throw a, a, a wrench in that is if Hamlin's not ready to go. Yeah, and I don't know either way where he's at, but it sounds like based on all the testing, based on what Hamlin has said, based on what the Bills have said, he's cleared all the hurdles. It sounds like he's going to be ready to be on the field this summer. Um, time, you know, Time will tell. We'll have to wait and see on that. But all signs are pointing to him being available to practice. And if he does, and he, you know, I, I think that he's a really good fourth safety for this team, if that's the case. So, but you're right. If there's a scenario where he's not ready, then that opens the door for someone else and they'll have to do some more roster gymnastics. All right. We're going to wrap up here. But before we do, I have one little last exercise. Okay. I'm going to throw on you. I didn't even, I, we, this wasn't even in our preview. I'm going to read off the first 10 picks in the NFL draft from AFC East teams, not named the Buffalo Bills. And we are both going to give who we think is going to be the most impactful mm. rookie drafted in the 2023 draft by an AFC East team, Patriots, Dolphins, or Jets in 2023. Ready? Ready. Here we go. Um, somebody's asking about the safety from Kansas City, Zane Anderson. Um, he is still on the roster. He's going to compete for a roster spot. I don't anticipate him winning one, but uh, TBD, we'll see. Um, they obviously liked him. They sent him early on in the um, offseason, right after the season ended. All right. So the first pick from the AFC East was the New York Jets selecting Will McDonald, the fourth defensive end out of Iowa State. The second pick. New, New England Patriots, Christian Gonzalez, cornerback out of Oregon. I think Christian Gonzalez has the best path to the biggest role to start with. We'll see if he ends up being my vote for the most potential impact player. Um, next up, Miami Dolphins at 21. Just kidding. They didn't have <laughs> What do we got here? Who is next? The Jets. Joe Tipman, center out of Wisconsin. That's a really nice pick at a value spot at 43. That pick reminds me, Ryan, I don't know if you felt this when we were watching the draft on day two, felt a lot like the Landon Dickerson move. Like mm -hmm. Tittman was most people's top center in this class. And I felt like over the course of draft season, he kind of snuck up from being like a third round pick at one point. Landon Dickerson at the time was more injury based, but like he kept sneaking up boards, sneaking up boards. I thought he might be sneaking into the first round. And I think the Jets get a quality player there at 43. Yep, no argument with me on that. Uh, someone that I think can come right in, help Aaron Rodgers, help this offense out. So definitely someone that will be in the discussion for most impactful. Um, New England Patriots at 46. Keon White, defensive end out of Georgia Tech, who was absolutely thrilled when his name was called. 
Yeah, if anyone didn't catch the draft, like just blank state, someone <laughs> shook his hand and they like kind of not shook his head. No, I'm sure it had nothing to do with the Patriots, but because I've had, you know, I remember Bills fans getting bombarded by James other Cook. people saying James Cook didn't want to be there and because he's like the emotionless man. So I, I totally get it. Yeah, I think it was probably just because he slipped to 46, but I think it's fun to imagine him thinking about going to play for Bill Belichick and just kind of being angry about it. I don't know. Like my vibes on Bill Belichick, I, I would hate that job, like playing for him in any way, shape, or form. But I also grew up in Buffalo from afar watching him. So who am I to say? 51, Miami Dolphins, Cam Smith, corner out of South Carolina. Had some first-round grades throughout the draft process. Uh, ended up going, I think, where about most people thought he would go. And then we get to the third round, and we'll just do the third round picks, and that'll be it. The Jets selected – I don't think the Jets had a third round pick, actually. Yeah, the Cleveland Browns took their third round pick. So we'll go to the New England Patriots. Was that Mabu? Okay. No, they traded their third round pick, too. Um, the Dolphins took Devin Ashane. Did I pronounce that right? Running back out of Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Ashane. Didn't, they didn't take Marte Mapu in the third round? Maybe later. Maybe they traded back. Because he was a guy that really liked, and I thought he went day two to Patriots. You're right. I missed it. Uh, Marte Mapu, linebacker out of Sacramento State. Um, So we got all of them there. Did I say the running back's name right? Ashan? Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, to my knowledge, yes. I mean, I could be wrong on that, but yeah. Okay. So you want me to get it started? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Get it started. You know, I hate to be anticlimactic, but I think it's Gonzalez at cornerback for the Patriots. He's in a division where he's going to be asked uh, early on here to go against some of the best of the best on uh, the Bills, the Jets, and the Dolphins. And I think he, you know, I think that he's going to be up to the task to a certain extent. He was one of my favorite cornerbacks in this draft. I, I had him as number two uh, behind um, the one that first one went off the board there. So I think that he has a really good chance to be an in- impactful player. If I had to pick someone second, I'd actually go back to the Patriots and go with Mapu. Uh, loved his game. I thought the injury uh, was going to push him a little bit further down the board, but I thought that the Patriots got a really good athlete in Mapu as well. I, I think that to your point, the Gonzalez pick is it makes a lot of sense. And I, I probably agree with you, but I'm just going to go a different direction just because I, I think Will McDonald has a, a guy that I really started to like late in the process, read up a little bit more on him, watched him a little bit. You know, Robert Sala, you know, obviously knows what makes a good pass rusher. And he's talking about this guy as maybe a version of Brian Burns that I think. Mm-hmm. That's got to be scary on that defensive line with Quinn and Williams. If they find a way to kind of unleash him as a rookie, the bills had so many problems with the jets last year. And if they're adding like a premier presence off of the edge, if they think that he can be some version of that and and maybe it takes time and maybe he's not ready year one, but I think Will McDonald might have a path to that. Yeah, I think there is. I I thought they went a little high on him, but he does, yeah, back to back 10 plus sack seasons in 2020 and 2021. Had a little bit of a down year last year, but I, I do like him in, in that defense. I could see him being someone that could make a big impact for the Jets. Ryan, we skipped over the wide receivers. What am I doing uh, here? Just stop. You know, we're 53 minutes in. I thought we'd go <laughs> maybe like 40. Um, and I'm just we're, we're chatty. Yeah. No, so obviously Diggs, uh, both of us had six receivers making it, and that's why I passed over it, I think. Diggs, um, Gabe Davis, Deontay Hardy, Trent Sherfield, Khalil Shakir. 
Khalil Shakir and yeah. Justin Shorter. I do think that there is a path to the roster for the rookie. Um, I think that they're going to lean on him as a special teamer. I think he's probably going to play in all four phases. Um, without um, Taiwan Jones, Ryan, they're going to be auditioning gunners to play opposite Saran Neal. And that's what Shorter did in college. You look at some of the, his you know, the images circulating on social media of this guy. He is an absolute monster. And if you shoot him out of a cannon, let him go down and hit punt and kick returners. I think that you like him in that role. And I think that obvious, that's what ends up getting him a roster spot for me. It, absolutely. The special teams role. I think, I think Trent Sherfield could also be the other gunner. He was very good in that role in his career uh, in Arizona, especially early on. So uh, someone I could see getting that gunner role. But yeah, I, I'm giving the rookie a roster spot there, that last spot. Uh, it's not going to be given to him if, if someone else steps up and, and earns the job. If the Bills bring someone else in, it could definitely put him out into the practice squad. He's someone that has not lived up to the expectations of being the former number one wide receiver recruit in the nation by by any stretch of the imagination. Um, he, he disappointed, I believe, Penn State first, and he had some moments at... Uh, Florida, but just never kind of put it all together in terms of what people thought he could be um, moving, you know, the athleticism. I have some questions, but I want to see what he looks like this summer. I want to give him a, a re- realistic shot of making this roster and at wide receiver six, I could see him being that in that spot for the bills team. Josh Allen was trending on Twitter and I'm like, what's going on? Something's wrong with the Twitter algorithm. Cause there, I just went through the first top 10. I don't know. Something like, you know, um, did he say something about Dalton Kincaid? Uh, any anything that you're looking at after the draft, but it was nothing. So apologies for that distraction. Mm-hmm. I was watching a video of him fighting with Christian Wilkins, actually, which you know maybe that's what it was. Shout out to Elliot Eisler saying happy anniversary to the Prinos. It's actually not until um, June next month, like a, almost a month from right now. But I was just thinking about it the other day. I, I put up a post on Instagram. 13 years, Ryan. Like man, they fly by, dude. Like I can't they do. believe. They do. I can't, how long? How many years is it this year for you and Joel? Oh, I got married in 09. So it's been, yeah. We've Whoa. Been, yeah, yeah. 14. God, well, you are like 40, what? 42, 43? <laughs> 39. Yeah. Come on. I know. I know. I always try to just get that little jab in there. All right. May 20th. Be there or be squared. Wing nuts, 700 military road. Come on, hang with us. It's going to be a great time. We'll talk. Bill's OTAs, rookie mini camp. We actually have something that we're kind of working on. It's going to be announced later this summer. Maybe we'll give the details to the people that come out to wing nuts. Ooh, I like that. that. I like that. It adds to the pot a little bit, doesn't it, Ryan? Absolutely does. Come on out to wing nuts May 20th. The Spud says, I'm going on 22. I'm like, well, we're not going to be there on the 22nd. We're going to be there on the 20th. So you come out there on May 20th. He's talking about how long he's been married. Okay. I misread (laughs) that. Spud, 22 years, man. My hat is off to you. That's amazing. Congratulations to you and your wife. That's going to do it, Ryan. We'll be back next week. Uh, Rookie minicamp, I think, end of next week. So stay tuned for that. We'll do a little bit of a preview, uh, hopefully, on Wednesday. Or maybe we'll just hold off altogether unless there's some type of news over the next week. Uh, unless we, maybe we'll have a guest on Wednesday night. That's probably what we'll end up doing. But if we don't have a show Wednesday, you can expect a post-practice podcast. We don't have a date yet, but maybe next Thursday, maybe next Friday. We'll see. Uh, stay tuned for that. We'll always put it, uh, we'll always put set up the episode 
uh, whenever we get a time and a date. And uh, so you guys have the, you're in the know. Take care, everybody. See you soon. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.